0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say... You really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now.
1: Go! From BBC Science Focus magazine, this is Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the managing editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. In this episode, I talk to dung beetle expert sally Ann Spence, Sally Ann is a Fellow of both the Royal Entomological Society and the Linnaean Society, and she's also an Honorary Associate at the Oxford Museum of Natural History. She founded the UK Dung Beetle Mapping Project to gather data all about the poo munching insects. In this episode, she tells us all about dung beetles. So Sally-Ann, you're a dung beetle expert. Now, dung beetles are widely known for collecting dung, but what do they actually use the dung for?
0: So dung beetles are actually, they are collecting the dung in a way, actually, because they're they're using the dung for a food source. Um, The adults are sort of mashing it up and sucking all the goodness out of it, if you like, and the larvae are eating the solids that are sort of left thereafter um but they're also living in it that's their habitat it's their protection it's their home you know it's it's their place so um they're using it on on many different levels but ultimately as a food source
1: now is eating dung quite unusual
0: in beetles um it's it is more unusual probably in this country because, um, they are, they have less competition for, for the dung. So, um, we have less invertebrates that eat the dung in this country. That's why our dung beetles have exploited the dung as a source. Uh, you'd have a lot of beetles that are eating leaves directly. Um, so you 've got a whole group actually that are called uh, leaf beetles because that 's you know what they're doing they 're busy eating leaves um, but uh, dung beetles are almost exploiting the next uh, stage where the leaves have been consumed by an animal and passed through and come out in the dung and there 's not a lot of competition so it 's almost like they 're using the dung for that. If you go around the world, the competition increases hugely and uh, until you get to areas where there are virtually no um, well there 's no not many mammals. And uh, a phenomenally large co- uh, competition for the dung. Uh, so you might have something like in the tropics um, rainforest, you have a monkeys. And uh, the dung beetles there have adapted to actually live on the anus. And, uh, and then when the dung's produced, they, they're there on source and can get it, you know. So it's, it's about competition as well. It's about that niche. It's about that adaptation. So the dung beetles are basically beetles that have adapted to eat organic matter after it's passed through another animal or an animal, yeah.
1: And you mentioned there that we've got dung beetles in the UK. Now, I think people will be quite surprised to hear about that because I didn't know we did.
0: Yeah, they, people don't realise we have dung beetles in this country because we just don't see them a lot. You know, there they are we've our groups of dung beetles. We've got three big groups of dung beetles and uh, they're pretty much divided into those that live in it, the dwellers, and those that live under it, the tunnelers, if you like. So, um, And because of that, we just don't see them. Not many people go out and look through dung so they don't come across the dung beetles. Um, and what they are thinking of when they think about dung beetles is they're thinking of those dung beetles as a rolling the ball of dung, the elephant dung. David Attenborough has leapt out of the safari you know land rover gone over and so sort of now getting everybody excited about this gorgeous dung beetle rolling this dung ball away and that's due to comp- food competition you know they they're packing it into a ball rolling it away there's other beetles that can actually specialize in stealing off those balls as well the dung balls um you know it's just all about competition and so those those beetles are seen they're big you know our dung beetles are northern hemisphere they're quite small and uh, they live in it or under it so they're quite static you know in that respect and they're just in an environment that we don't often and look at and come in contact most people would see dung and probably run the other way so we we just don't see them
1: (laughs) and is that literally the best way you can go and find them is go into a field and start rummaging through cowpats. Yeah, you can. I mean,
0: I've, I've got to say there's there's a biosecurity issues. So, you know, um, do wear gloves and disinfect and all the rest of it, because you can move diseases around from one load of livestock to another. You know, never go in a field without farmer's permission. And also be really careful. There is an element of risk attached to dung beetling um, if you're in a field with livestock. So uh, that aside, then, yeah, basically, if you want to find dung beetles, you have to go to their habitat and their habitat is the dung pat. So you, you can you can find dung all over the place. You know, they're feeding on wild animal dung as well as on livestock, um, domestic livestock. So uh, you can come across them, but you do have to get amongst the dung to find them.
1: Now, does each dung beetle specialise in a particular type of dung or will any poo do? Um, They can be.
0: So very specialist. It, It depends on the species. You'll get some dung beetles that will go Anywhere uh, in just about any type of dung, roofer peas is one in particular. I've found that all over the UK in all sorts of different dung. Uh, one of my most surprising places was the on a shingle beach on the tide li- line in red deer dung on the island of Arran. You know, not a great environment but for this particular but it was there it was feeding on the dung its dung was there so it followed it basically um and i found that also in dung on things like rhinoceros and cotswold wildlife park and things like that however there's also very specialist dung beetles that are only feeding on certain animal dung, certain livestock preference and then you get something like um which is the uh, minotaur beetle uh that is a, a lovely dung beetle that digs a hole Almost a roller, but not quite, because it rolls the dung into its hole, but it's not making the dung into a circle to roll into its hole. Um, but it likes to have dung like rabbit dung, deer dung and sheep dung, but only when they're in that pelleted form. So, um, and not all sheep and deer dung is in a, pomp, in a pebbleted form. You know, it's very, as I say, it's very specialist. Um, but that's, that's, you know, there, there is that that goes on. Some dung beetles like certain soils, certain temperatures, you know, all certain, uh, some like dung when it's on uh, ground, when the dung is touching the interfaces of soil. Um, some like dung when it's in a shade, some like it when it's on long grass, you know, some like it in woodland, you know, all this sort of thing, because, there's been a variety of habitats that livestock and animals live in. The dung beetles have exploited all those habitats as well, and some have become very specialist and some are, are not. They're, they're very generalist.
1: Do any dung beetles eat human poo? Um,
0: yes, yeah, they'll have a, a go. I mean, in this country, we don't often leave poo sort of just randomly around the countryside. Um, but uh, if you're going out to the tropics in particular, as I said earlier on, you know, there's less, um, less competition. Um, oh, sorry, there's an increased competition for dung and less dung. So invariably, samples will come back from the tropics. And uh, if you're going to take dung out into the rainforest with you, Um, it's a lot of hassle. The best thing is to do is collect what you produce and homogenize it. That's really important. Mix it up because there might be someone in your group who's a smoker, somebody who's not, and all the rest of you mix it all up. Uh, You put it in a little... uh, a bag or quite a large bag, in fact, and um, you bring the dung beetles to you. Uh, so, you know, if any samples that come through with HF on, normally human faeces, then that's, that's what's brought them in. Um, but yes, you know, they, you will get dung beetles in in carnivore poo uh, and as well as herbivore, but on the whole, they're, they're more prevalent towards herbivore dung in this country, definitely.
1: And why do we care about dung beetles? Why are they so important?
0: Right. Now you've just opened the Pandora box of how important these beetles are. Okay, they, they are so overlooked and what they do for us is phenomenal. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go through a bit of a list here and, and I hope I don't miss anything off. Uh, so they're that they're. they're digging holes a lot of the dung beetles are tunnelers so the group that are tunnelers are busy digging holes under the dung and if the soil is nice and light they can go down to about a meter or so in depth so you know quite a long way those beetles are quite large They're about to leave a hole it's about the size of my thumb and uh, that has a huge effect on the the soil of the of the field the pasture land um uh soil uh well, i'm trying to think of the soil health let's say hot soil health so what that allows to happen is rainwater to infiltrate um really important with things like um, flooding flash flooding and you know taking that soil uh, erosion uh it also is mixing up the soil biology the, the fungi and the bacteria the subsoil and the topsoil you know all these things are happening when they're digging down that bit is aerating the soil as well a lot of air in the soil so it's helping to aerate Um, Oh, golly, I'm going to go through a great big list. Uh, Then you've got um, the fact that they're actually um, eating the dung. That's really important because if you have pasture fouling, so dung that stays on the ground and is not removed, uh, will just sit there and the animals won't graze in that spot around it. And uh, you can sit there for a very long time. We're talking months or so, you know, so it can just write off your pasture. Um, But in that dung, you'll have things breeding that are detrimental to your livestock, so certain flies and things. I'm going to be very careful. I've got an entomological friend who loves her flies, and she'll be upset if I call them pest flies. But there are a group of flies that cause, um, you know, welfare problems with with livestock. So if the dung beetles are breaking down that dung, those those flies and things haven't got the time to breed in it. They also carry a little phoretic mite with them, and that mite will come off them in the dung and whiz around and feed on those the maggots and the fly eggs as well. So you know, there's that going on. Really important relationship with that mite. Um, and then you've got them breaking down the dung so quickly that um, sort of uh, intestinal ga- uh, um, nematodes and things like that that go through livestock that are parasites and they come into the dung and then they'll go through another life stage and they'll pass out and migrate into the grass and be consumed again they can't do that because that part of their life cycle that habitat they need to have the next stage in their life cycle has been removed so you're, you're actually helping your animal welfare as well. Then you have got, um, as I say, gen- generally removing organic matter. Uh, both the adults and the larvae are really, really important food sources uh, to the wide, wider biodiversity. So we're looking at mammals, reptiles, birds, other invertebrates. Everything seems to eat my dung beetles and their larvae. So they're really important for that. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the other things they do. Um, So if dung's on the surface and it's capped by the wind and the rain and it's nice wet cattle dung or something like that, it will be producing methane. If the dung beetles are in there and they're breaking it down, it's unable to produce the methane, which, of course, is one of our greenhouse gases, and so on and so forth. You know What they're doing is massive. It's a colossal amount of ecosystem functions, uh, but we just don't see them. Because we just don't notice. When you notice you haven't got dung beetles is when your system's breaking down. You've got dung everywhere and things are not great. Uh, And this is what's happened in Australia in the past. Um, But so, you know, dung beetles are busy doing a phenomenal amount of ecosystem functions that that are important for soil health, for the partial land ecology. Um, And I talk about partial land, but, you know, dung beetles, as I say, are in lots of other habitats. Um, And uh, they're just really important for the wider biodiversity. So lots going on with dung beetles. Phenomenal, awesome creatures.
1: You mentioned there that Australia's had a real problem with dung. So can you dig into that a little bit more for us, please?
0: Yes. Yeah, I shall dig into that. Definitely. So um, in Australia, Tasmania and New Zealand, you know, um, they are uh, places where they had um, marsupial. Their native indigenous wildlife and and livestock is marsupial. Um, And uh, we were bringing over huge amounts of cattle and sheep into those countries. And that became a huge industry, the livestock industry over there. Uh, But what was happening was the dung was actually staying in place. It wasn't being broken down. And uh, dung in those environments can stay there for months, possibly even years. And while the dung's on the ground, the animals will not graze near it, so you had to increase the area available for the livestock. And in the dung, you were able to have these these pest (laughs) species of (laughs) flies very inverted uh, pests, um, species of flies that were able to cause problems with, with both humans and animals because you've got synoptic diseases. So lots was going on that was based around the fact that the dung was not being broken down. So they looked into why wasn't the dung being broken down? There are dung beetles in Australia. Why was it not being broken down? And the answer is very simple that the dung beetles in Australia, the native dung beetles in Australia, have adapted and evolved alongside marsupials. And that's the dung that they can ingest and they, they search for. And this is ovine and bovine dung they'd never been introduced to before. And it happened so quickly, they didn't really have time to adapt. So what they did was they launched the Australian dung beetle project. Um, and I'm trying to think when it ran. It ran from 1960. I think to 1985 and there's lots going on with it still anyway um, but basically what they did was they went out and they looked around um, for dung beetles that would be suitable to breed in captivity So because you can get them through um, quarantine and things because beetles do carry diseases and funguses and things that you don't want to give to each other uh, they wanted to look at obviously the impact of releasing non-natives, that's a huge thing you've got to do before you release anything um, and uh, just see how many species would breed in captivity and get going and and they, they actually did shows lots of different species because it involves the altitude, the temperature, the soil types, you know, all these different things, factors you've got to put into it. And uh, the ones that successfully bred have now been introduced to uh, these, these areas uh, to break down the dung and um, enable the whole livestock system and industry to continue. So, you know, when you look at it at that scale, you think, wow, you know, dung beetles are, are really, really important. <laughs>
1: I suppose that didn't then have an impact on the native dung beetles because if the native ones just eating the marsupial poo and imported ones are eating the sheep and cow poo, then there's not going to be any issues there, are there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the main issues you'd be looking at is is uh, the disease factor, you know, the risk of the, the biosecurity factor of, of introducing beetles from abroad as well. Um, and uh, yeah, those dung beetles can continue doing what they're doing. And if you're able to turn dung around really quickly, you can um, carry on grazing the same amount of animals on the same amount of land without having to expand too much as well, which is another important thing because you need to have all that outback and bush and everything for the native invertebrates to be feeding on the native animal dung.
1: Now, are dung beetles found everywhere in the world where there's dung, you'll find dung beetles? Pretty
0: much. Um, pretty much. I mean, they, they are um, in most areas. That's for certain. Um, if you've got the dung, they will be there. Um, and there's evidence of dung beetle activity in dinosaur dung and everything. You know, these things have been around for a very long time.
1: I wanted to delve in a bit more to just some general sort of dung beetle biology. So I was wondering, uh, can dung beetles fly?
0: Yes. Yes, because and that's really, really important. They can fly because you never know where your dung is going to appear. Uh, i mean nowadays you know let, let's let's we are going to put a bit of a time thing on this because now obviously we keep our livestock in fields and things like that but if you go mesolithic and and back you know animals were roaming everywhere so you just did not know where your dung was going to be and if that's your habitat your adult stage will be able to to fly so you see this in things like ponds and things like that and in an area where the habitat is going to disappear potentially the the adult stage in verbia is winged so it can move around uh, and that's the same with dung beetles they can they can fly um, quite easily, actually. How far and how high is some work that we're still doing, uh, which is quite important. Um, but uh, yeah, very good flyers. And some of them are attracted to light. Some of them fly during the day. Some of them fly at night. Um, and that, again, you know, it interacts with all our other wildlife. So the ones that fly at night are really important bat food, uh, ones that fly in the day are really important bird food um so you know it's that sort of thing as well um but yes and if you have your light on at night some of them are attracted to light so if you're lucky enough you might have dung beetles crashing in through your window as well coming to see you
1: now that was my next question so are they active during the day or at night and if they're active at night are they looking for dung at those times as well yes
0: yes it's all their their flight is for nothing other than trying to get to another dung pat really um they they're not off you know pollinating flowers or or doing courtship flights or anything like that you know as far as we know um they're, they're literally just getting to their dung um and that's what it's all about some dung beetles like the dung when it, it's very very fresh some like it less fresh if you like <laughs> uh, bad english there um but uh, so they 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 will come into the dung at different stages um but yes the flying flying is simply to get them from a to b
1: now is it true that nocturnal dung beetles can navigate using the milky way
0: yeah, so dung beetles have uh, amazing eyes, incredible eyes. They're sort of split. Um, so they've got so, some that can process what they're seeing down, down and some can um, partly can process what they're seeing above as well. And there's been lots of research on on dung beetles, the rolling dung beetles. So they're looking at the navigation of these dung beetles. How do they know where they're going with the dung rock bowl, you know, and all this sort of thing. Um, and they did lots of research, uh, first of all, to find out if, you know, what part of the eye they were using. In fact, they put um, almost like little, they weren't quite like it, but you could almost like black little um, uh, baseball caps on them, you know, to block out what was going on. And the ones that couldn't see above were, were losing their direction. And then it was a case of, you know, what are they following? You know, it, are they following the sun? Are they following, you know, this constellations? Are they following um, a UV? You know, all these other things. So, yes, there's been a lot of research into that. Um, so it probably is the same with our own dung beetles, but it hasn't been researched the same as it has with, with dung beetles abroad.
1: Now, talking about those rolling dung beetles again, uh, we've seen the videos of them pushing these like enormous dung balls that are like, bigger than them. So how strong are dung beetles? Oh,
0: phenomenally strong. I should have, should have checked up on my, tra- on my fact for that. There is a fact <laughs> about how many, how many, if a dung beetle was a human, how many d- double decker buses they could, they could move. Um, but no, basically, yeah, phenomenally strong. You know, that's the beauty of an exoskeleton. Uh, It enables them to be extremely strong. Um, And when I'm when I'm actually looking at some of the soils, you know, I was talking about the tunneling dung beetles that can go down to about a meter in depth on light soils. I've actually chased some of those through some quite stony soil before now, where they've really, you know, managed to push and dig their way down. And if you put a dung beetle of, of varying sizes in the UK, but if you put a dung beetle in your hand. And uh, don't crush it, you know, but just hold it gently in your hand. The force that they use to push your fingers apart is really impressive. You know, they are incredibly strong insects, really, really strong.
1: And what's the biggest dung beetle out there?
0: Our biggest dung beetle is, yes, yeah, so about two and a half centimetres, or just over, in fact. Um, geotropy spinnaker is probably our biggest dung beetle. So just over two and a half centimetres long, which is actually quite a big, chunky beetle. Uh, when you go... Abroad, so the tropics, they are getting really quite large. Um, I'm just trying to think. I've got one. You can't see it very well. This is not a a video. However, I have a dung beetle here from middle of Africa. Um, And you can see that that's, oh, what's that getting on to? At least would that be getting on as much as 10 centimetres? Yeah, that's a chunky beetle. a very big beetle. So, yeah, it, and, and it goes down to food source. You know, if you've got a large animal producing a large amount of dung, um, you want to be quite a big beetle to process that. Uh, so that also happens. The geotropies in this country are the, di- the big beetles. Um, other than the, the um, minotaur beetle, are pretty much feeding on the bigger d- animal dung um, because they're going to be producing a large larvae. And so therefore they need more food. So uh, it's that type of thing, really. That's a relationship you tend to have with size very often as well. But we are northern hemisphere, so we're a little bit cooler. So that's why our, our invertebrates aren't quite as big.
1: And how many species of dung beetles are there in total? Um, in the UK, we've got about
0: 60 species. Worldwide, I'm not sure, but an awful lot. I know there's over 500 native species in Australia. So, you know, it's, it, it, we are talking quite a large amount of, of species around the world. Yeah, huge, huge uh, and they're in the same group as things like cockchafers, chafers, maybuck, you know, the maybuck bugs that people see, garden chafers, you know, all that sort of thing. They're, they're, it's a huge family group as well.
1: And I guess there might still be more species out there waiting to be discovered as well, you know, deep in the jungle or places we haven't really explored yet. Yeah,
0: hopefully. I mean, if the dung's there, you'll have the dung beetles. Um, but uh, I mean, the sad that there we do have a very sad situation here now is that we are losing our dung beetles, um, and uh, things are happening to them that are very detrimental. Uh, so at the moment, we've got sort of just over fifty percent of our species in the UK are nationally scarce. To um, you know, they're being listed as nationally scarce to uh, uh, threatened to some degree, and even we've lost species and they've become extinct. Um, so, you know, the, 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 for my point of view, the, the speed and I'm, and the passion and, and everything that I'm about is the conserving of these dung beetles. You know, that's, that's where my focus is
1: now. Very much so. And is there anything we can do to save the dung beetles? Just the general public? Um, it, yeah, ha- well, we need to, so this can be quite an emotive
0: subject for a lot of people. Um, but I want to see livestock in the countryside. Um, that you know, these dung beetles are eating the dung, and uh, as I said earlier on, they're having a huge effect on the biodiversity in the soil, uh, as well as in, in, in you know above ground. So wherever you get dung beetles, you get far more earthworm activity and everything else going on uh, underneath the pat. So you get more of um, uh, a, a whole group of invertebrates, loads of them. You, you, you spiders, you know, literally all going on around that dung pat with those dung beetles. It's a really, really active ecosystem, and. Uh, if we don't have livestock, we don't have dung beetles. And uh, as I said, you know, they're supporting things like our swallows and things when they're arriving in the spring. You've got the animals out, you've got the dung being produced, you've got all these dung beetles, a massive flush of species early spring. Same time that these birds are migratory birds are arriving. Those birds can't go on and lay eggs unless they're up to weight again. Uh, that won't stimulate the egg production um, so you know these beetles are there the birds come in they feed on them we start the whole process for the, those birds and so on and so forth you know they are an integral part of the wildlife in around our countryside and it's all based around dung so if we do not have dung out there we don't have this really really important ecosystem um, so yeah so one of the things that we can do to help support our dog beetles is make sure we keep livestock outside um and uh from a farming point of view uh you know we want them uh, we want them on the grasslands um they, they will go on other food you know so cattle and sheep and things are often used on cover crops which is really important um in the farming world for for soil health and things like that uh and they'll happily feed on those but ultimately what we need is is livestock out you know the the um Climate change is having a big effect on dung beetles and other invertebrates as well um, because they're so small. the smallest amount of temperature changes, things for them. Um, there is the use of um, treatments insecticidal treatments which is animal welfare so it's a very difficult subject you know um but we're doing lots and lots of work with farmers to reduce what they're using and how they're using it and man- manage that and working with their vets and things um and the same goes when you've got your pets it's not just about the farmers it's also you know every time you frontline your dog or you worm your dog or anything like that the dung it's producing is toxic for dung beetles because it has got an insecticide in it when you when you treat your livestock no matter if it's a pet or or it's um you know uh, um domestic wildlife uh, livestock in any way shape or form it you are giving it an insecticidal treatment and that it will be continuing in its dung for a bit of a while afterwards so um they will eat that and it will kill them uh and then it will have less lethal effects as time progresses so um yeah livestock in the countryside um trying to keep more grassland um i know we all talk about putting trees everywhere and everything and there is a lot to be done, done for trees absolutely um but i you know and dung beetles do go on grazing underneath trees and things as well um but yeah keeping livestock out there being really aware about treatments and things that they're, they're the big things that we can we can do
1: And are there any hotspots in the UK where we've got particularly good populations of dung beetles?
0: I spent six years really focused on finding different species of dung beetles around the UK. So all that data was submitted to the IUCN report, which came out in something was known as a State Nature Report uh and uh, i definitely found hot spots uh, you know around the uk but some places surprised me i didn't find the dung beetles i was expecting and some some really surprised me because i found far more than i was expecting places that you can go and see them the ultimate place for dung beetles is native livestock so they like um, the native livestock and they like them on permanent pasture so pasture that's never been ploughed or or had anything like that happen to it. And they like to have it so it's not improved. So it's not had nitrogen put on it or or farmyard manure or anything like that. That's what they like because the dung beetles we're looking at here were still going around. It was still existence. These species were existence in the Neolithic period and things, you know, before all this more industrial farming came into place. So it's a very similar assemblage of beetles. And uh, that's what they prefer ideally, but they have adapted, you know, they are coming along on modern farming systems. We have dung beetles out there. Probably one of the biggest threats potentially in a modern system is the treatments. But you can't say, right, we're not going to treat the animals. No one would say, right, my dog, my my puppy, I've just bought a puppy and all puppies are full of worms. That's what, what, you know, does happen. Um, I'm not going to treat my puppy, though. You know, it's it's the same for the farmers. They can't say, right, I'm not going to treat these young animals. It's just how they're treating and what they can use, which is they're really on board with. I'm working all over the UK with farmers who are just saying, right, what can I do to increase my dung beetles? Because I'd rather have a natural system on my farm than the non-natural system and everybody's getting used to the idea everybody has parasites you you you, we all do and it's a case of not having enough or having too many parasites that having a detrimental effect that's when you have to treat really and it's what we can use to treat with and there's lots of other things that we can use as a toolkit alongside that so that we we're working very closely with farmers to to get that across um and they're very much on board i haven't had anybody who's turned around to me and said look you know I think you're crazy. You're talking about these silly little tiny beetles that are going to make wonderful things going on in the countryside. Um, I, I think you're, you're, you're mad, you know, that you want me to change how I'm farming. I've not had that at all. All I've had is, wow, this is incredible. It makes a lot of sense. Um, what can we do to increase our dung beetles? How can we get more species on our farm? Um, you know, let us know. Can we work with you? Can we work with our vets? What can we do? So um, the, the, great, the great change is on its way, but we had to find out first of all, you know, how our dung beetles were doing. And the only way to find that, you know, to know what you're losing, you have to know what you've got. So the only way we had to do that was survey. So getting back to your question about where you can find dung beetles, um, you should be able to find them on permanent pasture that's unimproved with native livestock should be one of the best places to find a variety of species. They are active all year round, different species all year round.
1: I'm going to grab myself some gloves and have a look because they just sound awesome. <laughs> yeah,
0: They are, they're great, they're beautiful things. I mean, I, I love them. I, I just... Um, you know, for me, it made a lot of sense. I'm a farmer's daughter as well. Um, I've grown up with farming. I live on a farm. I have um, a large area of grazing that I rent and I run as lots of different experimental sites. Um, I've, I've, I'm now sat in a laboratory that is actually part of my house and I've, I'm, you know, I've registered my own place as a, as a research center. Uh, I'm obsessed by dung beetles and there's one species I'm completely in love with and that's Onthophagus durani. It's a it's a little tiny one. It's a little round, bumbly, gorgeous little beetle. Um, and uh, when you pick them up, and they 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 will protect their antenna. Is one thing they'll do. They've got a clubbed antenna, and they'll they'll pull their antenna in underneath their head when they're feeling frightened because you've got to protect your antenna. It's a really really important organism. Very very uh, um, very very sensitive, and uh, organ. Sorry. And then um, then when they feel safe, you know they'll they'll pop their little head out and just bring out their little antenna and their antenna, are what we call leaves. So they've got these, you know, to increase the area that they can actually smell from very important when you're looking for dung. Um, so they'll, they'll bring them out very tentatively and then just gently bring them up and, you know, look around and they're just gorgeous. They're just, I just love them. I am so excited when I find them. I've never, ever not got excited about finding a dung beetle and and when you're going through dung you just don't know what's going to be in there you know i think that this species is going to be there so there's the excitement of is it going to be there um and then there could be other ones in there as well I mean I there's some species that I see regularly and I'm still excited to seeing them and I've been looking in dung for several decades now <laughs> and I just yeah it's just great to see them um and it's great from a farming point of view it's great from from a, an ecosystem point of view it's great from a biodiversity point of view you know they're they're just brilliant group of insects
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was dung beetle expert Sally Ann Spence. The latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. Pick up a copy in store or visit sciencefocus.com.